everyone. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is the 163rd episode of Make Ours Marvel, where we are going to be covering five comics in our journey through all of the Marvel superhero comic book adventures that started from the Fantastic Four, number one, in 1961, and has made it to the end of yet another month. We're going to be wrapping up August 1967 on this episode and starting into September as well with the following five comics, The X-Men 37, Amazing Spider-Man 54, Sergeant Fury 48, and Strange Tales 163. I don't know why I said and there because there's one more, Thor 146. Because and, this is episode 163, so you emphasized and Strange Tales 163. Right, hence the title. We've got uh, the final synchronicity here because, um, <laughs> yeah, since this is our biggest issue number, this is the last time that our episode count and our issue numbers are going to match up. <laughs> yeah, probably, huh? Unless Forever we get to like 600 and somehow line up with Captain America 600, but that's not going to happen. Because we're way, way far away from the far from that. Yeah. I think it might take 6,000 episodes to get there. <laughs> At least, yeah. All right. Should we double right have... in or do we have any news or anything? Um, news? Psh, what is I this? I don't know. We don't do news. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes we say things, but if not, that's fine. We don't have Actually, to. you know what? Sure, I have a news. There is a. Okay, um, what's your news? There's a Twitter feed called the Illuminati that announced that Marvel is officially bringing the X-Men into the MCU with a film called The Mutants. And I went to their website to find a single documented source. And guess what they didn't have? Oh, man. A single documented source. Um, They said, from our sources, we know this. And I don't know. I don't trust our sources. I don't like that title. So hopefully they're just completely wrong. Because that seems like an odd way to do it. Mm Mm-hmm. Then the, the logo they had made up was the the word that the 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 new mutants logo with the new cutout. So oh, is it, it's kind of a cool looking logo, but yeah, I don't think the mutants is going to be a film. Watch me be wrong in three years, but you know, right now I'm right. saying the mutants not a film. Well, speaking of mutants, that's what we kick oh, off yeah. with tonight. X Men, X Men, X Men, X Men. Okay, X Men number thirty-seven. That's not how the song goes at all. Is that not how it goes? I always did thought it, that did was did literally it, how it goes. It. <laughs> no, X-Men, 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 X-Men. Gonna be a mutant now. Homo superior oh, is awesome. That was later. Or was that sooner? Where did I get X-Men, 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 X-Men? That's from another cartoon, isn't it? I don't know. Anyway, someone's gonna ride in and be like, that was a toy commercial. Okay. X-Men, the most unusual fighting team of all time in we, comma, the jury, dot, dot, dot. Uh, because this is factor three, boys and girls, and we're finally getting into it. Finally, finally. Time, the present, place, a hollowed out mountain fortress in the very heart of Europe. Occasion, a dramatic yet sinister reenactment of the uncanny X-Men's first class with the awesome juggernaut. So yeah, that guy who's been watching the monitor, last issue it was revealed that he has a weird hat. Now we really get to see the weird hat, but we still don't know who he is. Stan Lee presents a Roy Thomas Ross Andrew, Apex of Atomic Age Accomplishment, delineated by Don Heck, lettered by Artie Simek, jury stacking by Honest Irv. Too soon, too soon. So um, yeah, he's watching a rerun, which gives them the excuse to say as seen in issue, blah, 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 but they don't do that. So that's weird. Um, then he's like, and I think they're coming to us right now because they are. Last issue, they all boarded a commercial flight to because they figured out where the 
Factor 3 are located somehow. I can't remember. So anyway, but he knows this, the weird hat guy. Oh, it does show his face right away. Next page. Um, and he sends out one of them flying saucer egg things to go kill him. So it buzzes by the commercial plane, which causes it to, you know, jumble, I guess. And the X-Men are like, oh, boy, we better get out of this plane so that this thing doesn't come back and kill the plane full of innocent passengers. So they all open the door and jump out um, so that the egg follows them. And then Cyclops immediately shoots the egg and kills it in this awesome scene where they're all falling to their death. Um, Jean kind of uses her telekinesis to sort of help guide them a little bit and get them closer to each other and maybe avoid some rock. With, uh, and then ultimately, like, Angel tries to fly them all, but he's only so good and he can grab a couple. And Jean is now tired, so she can't grab anymore. So Iceman creates an ice slide and they all splat on the ground but live. So that's cool. But after changing to their costumes, they are immediately surrounded by more of those um, uh, War of the World spider alien things that Spider-Man had to beat. But now there's a lot of them. And there's also these three mysterious sand people guys who pop up and say, join us against the humans or you shall die. And the X-Men are like, nah, we'll just escape. So they try, but unfortunately they get gassed and they pass out. And they wake up in a courtroom situation, kind of. Um, they're stuck in a in a, uh, a bubble, an energy bubble of some kind. And there's the guy with the weird hat. And he reveals himself to be called Changeling. Um, but also on the screen, a la Superman 2 kind of, is the uh, uh, Vanisher, Unus, Blob, and Mastermind. And they're all there to say, guilty, 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 guilty. Right? And why are they guilty? Because this is a kangaroo court led by this mysterious dude named the Mutant Master who's standing way in the back and you still can't really see him. He's kind of shrouded. Um, and he reveals that this plot was his the whole time and he wants to destroy all of humanity. And he's got Professor X and Banshee in stasis cocoons. Um, and the X-Men are guilty for fighting the Vanisher and Unis and Blob and Mastermind and, you know, fighting on behalf of humans. That's not cool. And then they reveal their plan, which is to basically, uh, you know, cause World War III and then reap the benefits afterwards. Somehow they'll survive. Um, so they put the X-Men in like these overly complicated death hats and they're going to kill them, I guess. But then uh, Iceman creates like ice daggers. Oh, Iceman creates like <laughs> this ice stuff over top of the computer that's going to kill them and then it melts and then it pops makes the computer pop because it's not waterproof or something like that so they all escape but then they get attacked by this uh robot um i think they beat the robot but they're still stuck in the basement and then like they watch the monitor as the mutant master announces that the missiles have been launched and the world's about to be destroyed and they're like oh no we're too late what do we do next issue one minute to doomsday so factor three stands revealed or sits revealed and I'm counting on my fingers, and there's ah. two of them. <laughs> or there's six of them, depending on how you count. We are this, this world-changing force, you know, Frank and I are. <laughs> <laughs> and we call ourselves Factor 3, huh? Well, there's so the who, West, and, also, and there's the East, and, who, and they're the third factor. 
And are the sand people guys in the beginning the same two dudes in later or are those different guys or how does this work? I don't know. The sandy guys in the beginning? You know, the guys that are like trying to capture them and you don't really see what they look like and they have megaphones oh. and they say, surrender. Like, are they, is that chameleon and mutant master or is that like just soldiers? Do they have soldiers? That's a know. great question. I don't know. They have robots. Yeah. yeah. Maybe those other guys were robots. Maybe. Because as far it as I like know. It like sitting in a, in a, in a computer chair. I'm sorry. Changeling is sitting in a computer chair sending people out to go kill the mm-hmm. X-Men. So those dudes probably came from the egg bubble that got shot or something. And Mutant Master's just sitting up there being God. Mm-hmm. He yeah, looks familiar, uh, but I don't know who he is. I feel like he has a, a, a visual face design that has been used before, like maybe by Buzz Off on He-Man. I don't know. Yeah, it's definitely a He-Man character. This is well before He-Man too. So like, did the He-Man designer just really like old X-Men? Because <laughs> Changeling looks a lot like an X-Men or a He-Man villain too. He kind of does. He definitely would fit into that aesthetic. Maybe he goes by Beast Boy later. I don't know. <laughs> Man at Arms. Um, yeah. So we first started s- seeing Changeling a couple issues back. We saw his hat pretty clearly last issue. We saw him spying on people an issue or two before that. Um, I had forgotten, though, that this was Changeling. Mm-hmm. And Changeling is a person in X-Men. Uh, mm-hmm. He gets, you know, he gets a pretty significant role to play over the course of this original series that gets called back to a few times down the road. Um but I had not remembered that this was him. So mm-hmm. it was kind of cool. It's like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's this guy. Now, I'm speaking very vaguely because I don't think you know what I'm talking about. And I want to keep it that way. But um, but yeah, Changeling, he's here. I recognize his hat from the last issue. Mm-hmm. But I think I only know him just because I remember him visually from the handbook. Like, I don't know him. I've never read him in a story. So I don't really know what his deal is other than he has a weird hat. I liked the uh, James Bond plane jump scene at the beginning of this. That was my favorite part of the issue was like, I like that they potentially sacrifice themselves so that the humans don't get killed. And yeah, all that whole like trying to figure out how to survive and kill the egg in mid flight and all that was really cool. Even though you can't really just like tear your clothing fabric that easily or burst out of belts by just flexing your wing muscles. I mean, other than those kinds of things, it was, it was a pretty great sequence. Well, maybe Reed Richards invented that shirt for him or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't think he'd be able to carry all four of them anyway, and it turns out he couldn't. So. Well, what's weird is that they're all they're all falling through the air, and one you know they all link up together. Mm-hmm. Was were they linking together so Warren could try to push up and help like slow down their fall or something? Is that what that was? I think he was going to try and grab them, but that just didn't work. And then he's like, "Well, Gene, can you?" do something and she's like i'm exhausted from all this linking Mm. um i mean if you're falling and one of your teammates has wings it kind of makes sense to like at least get near him if you can but yeah there's no way he can carry the whole team i forgot he had (laughs) i forgot he had wings i thought they were all falling together and he was just like no let go of me it'll lighten your load And i'm like y'all are all falling together there is no load but i guess if if warren is trying to slow them down then slowing fewer people down is is a good thing Um, yeah I don't I don't think this is Iceman's first slide, is it? I don't think it is either. I think it was just his idea for slowing their fall, which physics-wise would not work at all because it's just it's going to have something it's going to have to push against the ground 
to slow their fall. Otherwise, it's just a sheet of ice falling through the sky with them. That is a great point. And it doesn't even connect on the other end either, if you look. No. So he tried, but he's still learning. Yeah, I kind of feel like he abuses physics with that slide often, though. So (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) that thing doesn't obey the laws of physics, does it? Anyway. I was... I was kind of surprised to see the Vanisher on the wall just because we haven't seen him in so long. We have not seen I the know. Vanisher since issue two, that one time. Mm-hmm. Um, Warren's like, they lost their mutant abilities. Well, Xavier made him forget who he was and that he had powers. I guess that kind of counts, but I guess you remember later. And I, I was just like, you know, and you guys fought mutants. And I'm like, so it's illegal to fight mutants, even if they're bad and doing things that might not be beneficial to other mutants like spreading them bad mutant name or whatever or robbing the white house or ruining top secret stealing top secret things and you know i mean that stuff could have consequences well you know the white house is just full of straights there's no mutants in there so (laughs) unless the president is something we don't don't know Factor three is like, well, you know, at least I have to say, I feel like it's been 28 issues since we've dealt with evil mutants. So this was kind of nice that we got a big fat helping of well, them, I guess. Yeah, because I looked up Mastermind to see when he supposedly was stripped of his mutant powers. Issue mm-hmm. 11 was the last Brotherhood of Evil Mutants issue. This is yeah. issue 37. They've done lots of stuff that A, doesn't involve mutants, and B, doesn't involve the Brotherhood who used to be here every single day. Right. I think Unis and Blob teaming up was the last time they dealt with mutants. Uh, yeah, because the oh the Banshee issue. Well, yeah, that's true. The uh, but the Banshee's partner, the Ogre, was not a mutant. And um, but I feel like it's been a while since they've addressed the message, which is we are good mutants trying to coexist with humans. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like that message has been lost for some time. So it's kind of nice that they're now being put on trial for it, even though it's like it's been a they should have just defended themselves and said, hey, it's been like at least a year since we've bothered doing that. Right. That's true. So let us go. What we don't get explained is that Mastermind, last time we saw him, was turned to stone by the stranger. So I guess he got better. No, that was an illusion. You fell for it. Oh, I did. Darn it. Jason's always messing my head up. Dang it. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure I love Factor 3. I like that we've had, you know, a prolonged story arc and there's been some drama and some buildup, but I do kind of dig the basic notion that there's a rival group of mutants who could conceivably predate the X-Men and see the X-Men as like upstarts and traitors to the cause. Mm-hmm. It's the kind of thing that gets done ad nauseum in the nineties, but by itself, I, I, I like the idea. It's a cool idea. The plan's a little odd because if you're starting world war three and your plan is to have, you know, like Russia nuke, America and vice versa. Like, what's to say millions of mutants won't die? Right. Also, you don't have them all in your sweet little bunker down there. There are more than ten mutants in the world. Right. So once again, the evil mutants don't actually care about their fellow mutants. They just care about themselves, which is a problem I often have with evil mutants. Because to me, Magneto would be a much more interesting character if he legitimately cared about mm-hmm. Toad, but he doesn't. He only cares about Magneto. So it's easy to not root for him. I think the way the story goes next issue, because I do remember the, the the denouement, if you will, will add an interesting aspect to that conversation. So we'll have to revisit that next issue. Um, All right. But the one other thing I had about story beats in this was that Gene getting Iceman to make icicles and then floating them over the electronics 
so that they would heat up and melt and short things out. That was a pretty Mm -hmm. slick play. I liked that. That was cool. But was that Jean? Jean did it, but it wasn't her idea. She was following Scott's No, I was going to say, a woman couldn't come up with that that idea. It had to be Cyclops, (laughs) right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, that was more interesting than just having her like free them. Right. Okay. So one thing about the comics we've been reading lately, I can't remember if we talked about this before. I meant to bring it up before, but I don't think I did. I think Doctor Strange did it first, and then Namor, but also the X-Men. They've been following a similar general plot structure where you have this like stated goal, mm-hmm. but you really take your time getting there with a mm-hmm. lot of side trips along the way. Mm-hmm. Doctor Strange sort of defined this with the Eternity Saga that was like everything but Eternity Saga. How do we feel mm-hmm. about the storytelling strategy? It's like every issue we know we're working towards this thing, but every issue doesn't seem to be working towards that thing. I am thinking so far, at least as memory serves, none of that, none of those times has it worked for me. Mm-hmm. But maybe that's not true. I'm trying I, to think. I don't but think like, I've loved definitely it. not Doctor Strange. Right. And Namor, you know, it's been a couple different things. Like right now, he's like, I'm going to go to war against the surface world, but it's been four issues, five issues, six issues maybe. And he mm. has not gone to war against the surface world yet. He's had a lot of other stuff come up along the way. And there was when he was, um, when he was going after Dorma and Krang and like had this whole vacation oh, yeah. in New York City. That meandering. Yeah. <laughs> Well, meandering is in a, is typically is definitely horrible. Especially like Hulk did that too for a long time, where it just seemed like one thing after another. Um, but like in in this case, what do you think of like they're hinting at Factor Three forever, at least as far back as twenty seven. Twenty seven is where they fought, uh, where Spider Man was. They tried to recruit him to help uh-huh. them against Factor Three because they just found out about it. So maybe it was the issue yeah. before that. So like a good year now of talking about factor three without actually getting there. And now we're here. And I, I, I was gonna say, I don't think I love it either. Yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I, I want to feel you out first. Well, you know, the big problem with factor three for me is like, it's one thing to hint things here and there. And that's cool as they go about their life. But like at some point, Xavier got kidnapped by factor three. Mm-hmm. And that seemed like six, seven, 12, 200 issues ago. And it's like, at that point, there should be some urgency to deal with this situation. <laughs> And they like so, yeah. In the opening scene of an issue, they'll 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 talk like there's urgency, but mm-hmm. but then there's not. Yeah. So I don't mind hints. I mean, that'd be cool if like they played it that way, like just dropping Factor Three name every so often or encountering something that's related to Factor Three, and it takes a real long time to resolve. That's fine. But when you kidnap the leader of your team, okay, now we can't do this for a year. You've mm-hmm. got this is this is stakes now. You have to actually wrap this story up now. Right. It matters. All right. Well, I don't really have anything else on the X-Men. Shall we move on? Let's move on to the best book of the night. Oh. I'm going to guess. I'm guessing. Amaz- I don't know if that's true. Well, it might be the most amazing book of the night. It's definitely the most amazing. Amazing Spider-Man 54 to finish out the month. The tentacles and the trap. Always make sure to check your tentacles before they get trapped. Um, all right. Explanation 67. Foiled by Spider-Man and his plot to steal America's greatest new weapon, the Nullifier. Wait, isn't that the same hmm? thing that they're going after in Strange Tales? Never mind. T- the Nullifier? We'll talk about that in a few minutes. Know. I don't know. Whatever, don't whatever know. the thing was. I don't know. Never mind. Never mind. Nullifier. Doc Ock struck back last-ish and mistakenly 
thinks he has killed our wondrous webslinger. Although we know differently, don't we? Anyway, the multi-armed menace now needs a safe place to lie low, and what better hideout can there be than a simple room in the simple home, which our simple heroes, Simple Aunt May, shares simply with Anna Simpleson. Okay, I may have added some simples, but there are a lot there already. Brought to you at its full flavor peak by Stan the Man Lee and John Ringeding Ramita. Embellished by Mickey DeMeo, lettered by Sam Rosen. My brain just said John Ramita, not to be confused with Jim Morita in the Sergeant Fear issue we're about to talk about. <laughs> right. <laughs> they have almost the same name. Anyway, so we open with um, Dr. Octopus and Aunt May talking about his references and how... She's like, wait a second, didn't you kidnap me? He's like, no, 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 no. She's like, aren't you wanted by the police? He's like, no, 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 no. I was trying to stop Spider-Man because he's a nasty puss. And I didn't kidnap you. We had tea together, remember? She's like, oh, everything seems delightful. You should just move right in. So he does. Spider-Man's looking for Dr. Octopus all over the city, can't find him, goes back to his apartment, changes to his uh, regular clothes, goes to see his Aunt May, and guess who's there? It's Dr. Octopus. However, Dr. Octopus is up in his bedroom doing some nasty things first. He calls the old master planner gang on his, um, looks like a, a somewhat thicker model tablet with some cool mm-hmm. little speaker attachments. Um, it's some sort of video phone. But it probably does Spotify, too. Anyways. It's a Game Boy. Yeah, yeah. Calls the Master Planner gang with their purple masks and says, hey, um, bring me this stuff. I'm going to need to do crimes. And they're like, sure, man. Um, Peter has not actually gone to see his Aunt May yet. I just know that he's going to. He's at his apartment uh, doing some web fluid work. And Harry comes in and says, hey, Pete, um, let me make some breakfast. You hungry? He's like, yeah, I'll be right down. Closes up the closet because his Spider-Man gear is in there. Shoves all of his web-making paraphernalia into the uh, uh, under the bed and comes out the door. Is like, yeah, you said breakfast. Harry's like, never mind. If you need to lock everything in your bedroom up before you even come out, might as well live somewhere else, man. And so Peter's like, oh, I thought Harry was my best friend for five minutes. Now he doesn't like me anymore. Okay, so he goes to the Daily Bugle. He meets Joe Robertson, the new city editor. Um, he says hi to Jay Jonah. Jonah's griping about Spider-Man. Go find Spider-Man! Because uh, Peter was like, do you know where Dr. Octopus is? He doesn't know where Dr. Octopus is. He swings over to the coffee bean, runs into his two favorite ladies, says hi to them, then finally makes his way to Aunt May. And there's Otto Octavius sitting, having tea with his dear, sweet aunt. He's like... You're, you're Dr. Octopus. You, how can you live here? And Aunt May's like, no, 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 no. This is all a misunderstanding. He's fine. He's fine. Octopus is like, why don't you go and uh, make us some tea, Mrs. Parker, while I'll talk to your nephew man to man. May Lee's like, okay, punk. If you rat on me, I'm going to, I don't know, rat on you. Not rat on you because there's nothing to rat on about. But, you know, take you to the cleaners and give you cement galoshes or something. Um, so Peter leaves. He turns into Spider-Man. He comes back at night. Shines his Spider-Man signal through the window. Octopus is like, how did he find me here? Well, I'm not going to go walk into his trap. I'm going to get my Game Boy Skype out again and call my gang. And they're going to come beat Spider-Man up. So the purple guys from the Master Planner saga come and beat Spider-Man up. They don't have a whole lot of luck in beating him up. They spray him with some gas, which kind of slows him down a little bit. The... um. The neighbors start to say, what's going on here? Otto's watching all of this from the safety of his bedroom. 
He's like, I thought they were going to beat a Spider-Man. They don't beat a Spider-Man. Police show up and Spider-Man's like, if I just stay here, they could want me. So I'm going to leave. Finally, Otto's like, you got to do something right. You got to do it yourself. He puts on his octopus arms just when Spider-Man breaks in through his aunt's window into the Otto Octavius bedroom. And Dr. Octopus quickly knocks him out. And then Aunt May walks in on them fighting. And Spider-Man's like, oh, no. I made her faint because of my own presence here. This fight is a whole thing I was trying to avoid. What am I going to do? May, wake up, wake up. He even unmasks while he's holding her. May, wake up, wake up. She won't wake up. He calls the doctor. The doctor calls the nurse. The nurse calls the lady with the alligator purse. Dr. Bromwell comes over and says, yes, I think she'll be fine for at least another 700 issues. But no more surprises. No more shocks. It could be fatal. Peter's like, it could be fatal. Every single thing I did Aunt May could be fatal. I'm going to go get Otto Octavius and somebody fix the hole in my wall that he made when he left. Next issue, be here when disaster strikes Spider-Man. Wow. There's so much good in this issue. Right? But before we dive into the goodness, I have one question for you. I was thinking about this. Okay. Okay. How does Otto Octavius get dressed? How does he get dressed? His arms come off, don't they? Yeah, but they also thread through the holes. Oh. When he's wearing his arms and he's wearing clothing, his arms go through the clothing. Like, there are holes there, but I don't know how you would do that unless, I don't know, maybe it does the same way we do with two arms, just with six. I was just thinking about it as I was- Well, I'm looking here. I'm trying to see what he looks like. Yeah, you're right. How did that happen? Because up until page 17, it worked. Mm-hmm. And now it doesn't. Because, like, before that, he was controlling the arms without wearing the arms. Right. And there are no holes in his jumpsuit. He's just wearing a jumpsuit. And there's no holes in his jumpsuit. And he's wearing his jumpsuit. And it looks like they're about to fasten to him. And you'd think that waist thing would go around the outside. But no. Suddenly, it's underneath. And much like Spidey's web shooters, you don't see a bulge either. No. Like, no. In fact, you see yeah. that you see the curve of his spine on page 17. Right. So you'd think there'd be, like, this giant girdle-looking thing underneath his form-fitting outfit. But nope. He's just an, That's weird. He's an action figure. Mm-hmm. Speaking of them being off them, though, I, I was trying to remember, how did these things get off? Did, this, did the police find a way to remove them at one point? Is that what we figured out? Uh, Gosh, I don't know. I don't think right now they're... Oh, because they were permanent when he first got them, weren't they? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe he figured it out on his own or something. It kind of goes back and forth with whether he can take them on or off, doesn't it? Over the years, yes. Yeah. So I guess right now he's in a state of... Being able to take them off but still control them mm-hmm. as long as they're close or something. Speaking of memory, which we weren't. Well, we were speaking of our own memory. Uh, my memory is that Aunt May never understood that she was kidnapped in that story. Is that true? Because if it is, this plays. If it's not true, this is weird. Yeah, I don't think she ever processed actually being kidnapped. Like Betty Brant was there the whole time and she was freaking out. But mm-hmm. May was like, oh, Otto is so sweet. I don't even know why I'm along right. for this ride. He's just having a little bit of trouble with his arms. Don't stare. Oh, you brought tea. I'll take milk, please. Well, it's a good thing they wrote it that way because then otherwise this would make zero sense. But it works because she just remembers him as being a sweet man mm-hmm. who served her tea. And so and who's gonna, that's funny. And who's going to try to marry her later. Mm-hmm. Now, she calls Spider-Man that dreadful Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Is this like... I feel like this is the first time she's had any commentary on Spider-Man. No, she has not liked Spider-Man. Okay. Well, when has she ever had to deal with Spider-Man before? Just on the news. Um, oh. 
I think early on it was in the context of don't watch the the news. They make you stressed oh, out. Right. But over time, right. it, there was a bit of a tone of, you know, I don't like that Spider-Man character. That's right. She subscribes to the Bugle. She, and she also knows that Peter is really Spider-Man. So she's just poking at him somehow for some reason. Uh, Harry Osborn. Oh, my God. He's a person. I can't deal with this. Why is he living in my – I don't know what his deal is. I thought it was that he was jealous of Gwen's attention towards Peter. But now with this issue, it's like, okay, he's just got some probs. Like – Apparently, you can't have any privacy mm-hmm. when you're when you're uh, Harry's roommate. Y'all just got to walk around in your underwear and be happy or something. I guess I don't know. Like, like at no at, in no way did he think, oh, he closed the door because he was changing or just needed privacy or whatever. Yeah, maybe Harry's weird. Maybe he just wants to snuggle with Peter all night and watch Game of Thrones. Only don't watch Game yeah, of he Thrones because <laughs> he wants Peter to be just me more open to everything. Um, I was all at first. Also, I was like. When Peter described him as his the best friendship he's ever had, I was like, really? They've hardly been friends for hardly at all. But then I thought, oh, but Peter was the nerdy dude with wheat cakes and a and a and a and no friends or dates mm-hmm. or anything. So maybe he's never actually had a, a real friend or a friend at all. So this is the best friend he's ever had. And it's been about a year of comics since he and Harry buried the hatchet and decided to be friends. Um, mm. It was right after the Green Goblin two-parter unmasking story when Ramita had just picked up the book. Yeah. Did you notice something different about Peter Parker's wardrobe in this issue? Um, He's wearing a helmet. No. Oh, okay. Lots of letter writers writing in saying, hey, he should wear that helmet. That's kind of weird. I don't know. If it's the law, he should. I don't think it was. Did you notice he has the, the on the page six? He's wearing the helmet, but the chin strap is floating around in the breeze. Yeah. It's like walking so, around with your mask on, but your nose sticking out. I mean <laughs> a lot of good that's gonna yeah. do, right? Um how did Pete get so popular? Because everyone's flabbergasted that Peter Parker has the two dandiest damsels on college campuses on his arms. And it's um It kind of makes sense to me in in two ways. One, sometimes people just develop slower than other people. Mm-hmm. So and also with being hit, you know, bitten by a spider, maybe that helped too. Um, but he's just probably prettier than he used to be. Um, and I don't, and you know, it's hard to say that because art styles change and you don't know or anything like that. But obviously Ramita draws him prettier mm-hmm. than he used to be. Um, but also I think college, what's cool in college is different than what's cool in high school. That's true. There's the whole guys like us will be cool in college. Which I, there is some truth to that, I think. I mean, yes, there's also the stereotype of the frat boy and all that stuff. But I do think like guys like Peter probably would get along better in college socially. Because at that point, you're getting a little more serious. You're starting to realize you're going to have to have a life here pretty soon. Mm-hmm. So it's not just about like who's dating who and who's on the football team anymore. So that kind of works for me, that a Flash would not do well in college and Peter would. Yeah, because Flash seems um, stuck as a... You know, I just recently watched Superman 3 for the first time in possibly 10 years. And uh-huh. Flash Thompson seems like he's going to turn into Brad Wilson from that movie. Yeah. Also confidence. Like mm-hmm. maybe the fact that he can lift 10 tons and he's Spider-Man. Like even though he tries not to reveal that to people, there still might be an aura of confidence about him that he didn't used to have. Because mm-hmm. he's not worried about being beaten up anymore, I imagine. Or I don't know. He's Spider-Man. That's cool. Even though we can't tell people, still it must be it must be a confidence booster to have all those abilities and stuff. That's true. I think if I had had spider powers when I was in high school, I would have probably been a lot more assertive with myself too. Right. 
Um, Aunt May. Peter, dear, how nice of you to draw. Oh, that's right. You've met my new boarder before. I'd almost forgotten that time that you dressed up as Spider-Man and tried to fight him in the carnival when you were half Whoops. dead from the flu. Whoops. That's right. He was unmasked by Dr. Octopus, and as far as May knows, oh. that was the time they met. So then she should know that Dr. Octopus is bad. Oh, he does, like, lie and say it was all Spider-Man's fault, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. By the way, why is she calling him Dr. Octopus and not Dr. Octavius? That's odd. Or even – even I think she would call him Otto. I think she would quickly but like, put it on a, a first-name basis and – yeah. Yeah, but, like, did he fill out his land his, – his tenant application with Dr. Octopus? Doctor is his first name. Doctor. If I were Peter in this scene, because um, at some point May leaves, I think, and then Dr. Octopus like does the vulture thing on him mm-hmm. in the car, I'd be like, I'd just punch him as hard and as fast as I can, and he would totally be knocked out because he's just a normal human. That's true. And then I would throw him in the bushes and say, I don't know what happened to him, man. May, he left. He, he just ran out the door. Yeah. You said he had to I go. I think I scared him. Sorry about that. Um, the fight scene starts in and kind of just goes along for a while. The staging of it feels a little weird because I thought they were mm-hmm. outside of Peter's house. They are. But, they, well, I thought they were like the wall they were fighting next to was the wall of his house. But then Octopus is looking at them from a distance through the window. Oh. So I, I thought it was too. Maybe it's just an out. Oh, maybe he, because he was trying to lure Doc Ock out. So maybe he shined the light and then went across the street or something. Yeah, that was what Keenan and I came up with. Keenan also said that maybe maybe Peter's or Aunt May's and Watson's house like curves around like a school. <laughs> yeah. That what the timing was weird too. Like he just calls those purple guys and all of a sudden there there's twenty of them in Queens ready mm-hmm. to go. I don't know. That was my least favorite part of this issue was the fight because there's so many other cool parts. Yeah. Uh the one funny part I noticed is that Spider Man's find them and they're like you know, you could just go. So far, you haven't done anything actually wrong. Or maybe they're thinking that. I don't know. Oh, yeah. He's mm-hmm. like, if the, if the police show up, what would I say? Mm-hmm. Because they haven't really done anything wrong. I'm thinking assault. Assault counts. Yeah. They're assault. beating you up. That's true. But then they, I guess they could say the same thing back and everybody's masked and who knows who said what or what. So that'd be a big hot mess for the police. But, um, but that's how vigilantism works. But that's when I had a really cool dramatic cliffhanger at the end. This, this sort of cements the idea of... Aunt May ready to fall to pieces at a moment's notice that mm-hmm. is stuck in people's every, everybody's mind, it seems like, for 50 years after this. She has had the vapors multiple times in this series so far. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's 58 issues or 57 issues, but 54, I guess. But more than this should be, I think. More than, more times than it should have happened by now. Yeah. Well, what a way to end the month, though. Definitely a way to end the month. So I guess it's rundown time. Hey, Jim, you need a rundown of our clients? Sure. What the heck is our rundown? Uh, Sergeant Fury 47 is where we started our month back on August 1st of 1967 with tea and sabotage. That was where they all decided to go on a break. And um, Pinkerton Mm -hmm. got captured and tortured by Goethe. Right. Um, Fantastic Four, King Size Special, number five with the Inhumans. And Black Panther and Psycho Man. We had Strange Tales 162, where he fights Doctor Strange, fights Nebulous, and takes that like power wand from him. And also mm-hmm. Nick Fury uh, tries to raid uh, the Yellow Claw. And um, 
he gets caught and sent into an octopus tank. Mm, okay. Then what else? Thor, 145. He's on Earth and meets up with the circus of crime, just strong dude Thoring around. Amazing Spider-Man King size number four, Spider-Man, The Torch, Mysterio, The Wizard, and oh my gosh. Tales of Suspense 95 with um, Iron Man fighting the Grey Gargoyle with the Jasper Sitwell introduction. And also Captain America going out on a date with Sharon, or I'm sorry, with the nameless Agent 13 and then deciding (laughs) to call it quits. That brings us to the Avengers, uh, Blitzkrieg in Central Park. They're fighting the Super Adaptoid on Avenger Day, and Hercules officially joins the ranks. Tales to Astonish 97, Namor fights the Plunderer, and Hulk joins the Legion of the Living Lightning. Daredevil 33, Behold the Beetle, where Mike Murdoch goes up against the Beetle. Fantastic Four 68, Ben wants Reed to make him a thing mystery villain disguised himself as a chemist to help Ben, but doesn't really. And then we're finally on our current episode, the X-Men 37 with the changeling and factor three amazing Spider-Man 54 with, um, the Dr. Octopus thing. Ah, that was, that was, that's a lot. 12 comics. I don't think we've ever had 12 comics in a month before, or if we have two, I wasn't paying attention. Two annuals. Mm hmm. Well, I think I, no, I don't know if I got it. I'm I'm tempted just from the humor of it to put Amazing Spider-Man as both best and worst of the month. <laughs> Why? Oh, for the annual? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking um, about that. I'm not sure that that annual was my least loved book of the month, but it is certainly a contender. It was definitely long in the tooth, but it had some moments. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at some yeah. of the usuals, like Doctor Strange. Fury was great. Fantastic Four Annual was good. It was fun, but I don't know if it was amazing or anything. Uh, Strange Tales is definitely a continue for worst. Thor is an interesting new direction, so I can't say that was bad. I don't know if it's great, but it was interesting. I think I know. Okay, go ahead. My least favorite, again, is just going to be Doctor Strange. I'm going to keep dogpiling on him until he gets better. Because definitely Same our, our opinions now are going to change the way they do the stories. <laughs> Same same reasons as last time. They're just making this up as they go along. This one in particular really felt like that. Like it's not even the same problem he was having. Mm-mm. They make it up. They make up that that Morbius is suddenly the be all and end all of evil. What happened to the twenty eight other evil people? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. That was just annoying. So forget that book. And my favorite, I'm really waffling between Spider Man and Fantastic Four, but I think I like Fantastic Four a smidge better, just because of all that. It's more like. A day in the life, kind of. I don't know. I enjoyed the I enjoyed the vibe of this one a lot. So, mm-hmm. so Fantastic Four wins for me. Okay. Well, um, after reviewing Doctor Strange and Namor, I realized that I mm. the problem with the Spider Man annual. The first half is middle and decent. Yeah. The second half is just like, oh my god. And by the time you're done with it, it's just so exhausting. Doctor Strange is pretty short. Pretty short. And I mean, I didn't hate the direction. The art's still really pretty. I just don't understand where we're going with all of this. Um, mm-hmm. He gets the staff from Nebulous and goes and fights Baron Mordo. So they're pushing things forward. The, the plot's advancing and there's a cool magic fight. I just don't know why this is happening. And that's mm-hmm. my biggest part of the Doctor Strange is that the the stated motivation of the story 
doesn't seem to be actually motivating the story. And that's the problem there. Right. Um, I am going to do a Spider-Man. I just was really, yeah, really tired of that whole last half. But do I really oh, want yeah, to, or do I want Doctor Strange? Gosh. Problem with Spider-Man is they're just trying to fill 41 pages, and it feels like that eventually. Mm-hmm. If that was a regular-sized issue, that story might have been kind of fun. That's true. We're going with enjoyment factor. Did I enjoy Spider-Man less than I enjoyed Doctor Strange? I didn't. I think it has more problems as a book, but you're right. It's because of the length. It's not because of the concept. I think there's a concept problem with Doctor Strange right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, Doctor Strange. And I'm putting Spider-Man on top. Um, un- unabashedly, unashamedly, I. Oh yeah, it's really good. Really, really liked it. Um, there's other comics this month that are good, but mm-hmm. that and Fantastic Forward definitely the standouts. It's definitely a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. And we've got like a really cool arc with Octopus and everything. It's been mm-hmm. this is the second mm-hmm. issue. I think we've got we've got several more. Much better than his last arc, where we didn't even know he was in it. I'm trying to remember what arc that was. The Master Plant Earth. Oh, Octopus is last arc. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's like, God. Other than the lifting of the thing, that wasn't a very good arc, but. Nope. Everyone touts it really highly. Not I. I know, because of the, the lifting of the thing. We all remember that part. <laughs> and it's a good part, but everything surrounding it is not so great, in my opinion. Right, but. right. Keenan didn't even remember it. We were talking about the, the purple guys. He's like, I vaguely remember the lifting thing happening. I don't remember these purple guys. I don't remember Dr. Octopus being there. Yeah. All right. Um, you've got Sergeant Fury, man. Yep. On to a new month. Sergeant Fury and Italian Commandos number 48. If Britain should fall, the blockbusting Blitzkrieg squad has escaped from a British prison. And if we had to tell, as if we had to tell you, and led by the iron fisted Colonel Clow is wreaking terror and havoc throughout the British Isles. So face it, battle mag buffs. Mighty Marvel is about to really suck it to you as only everyone's favorite Howling Commandos can. Wahoo. Stan Lee titanically tosses at you a Gary Friedrich, Dick Ayers, John Severin battle-scarred bombshell lettered by L.P. Gregory, Goose Steps by Forbush Dance Studios Incorporated. Wow. So, yeah, they escape, which is basically what Sam Sawyer was picking them up all in an emergency for last issue coincided perfectly with Klaus talking about how he's going to have them escape. So that works, I guess. Um, yeah. So we cut to Klaus and he's talking to the Blitzkrieg squad and he actually breaks it down in case we forgot because mostly they never use them like this, but lately they have been. So we have Siegfried who will go strong mono mono with Dum Dum. We have Otto whose flute will overpower Jones's trumpet. <laughs> we have Ludwig who can uh, out-mechanical Izzy Cohen. They're fighting each other uh, with wrenches, man. We've got Fritz, who will out-ladies man Dino Minnelli. <laughs> and, oh, and there's this guy, Ernst. Oh, Ernst uh, uh, is a better horseman than Rebel Ralston. And Manfred, you have a walking stick, which everybody knows is better than an umbrella. So Pinky's out. Pinkerton is out. Um, in case we forgot. That was kind of a cool page. So, but guess what? The plan is to, I guess Germany wants to invade Europe, but step one is for the Blitzkrieg squad to invade the base the Howlers are on and take them out because they're the only things that could possibly stop Germany invading Europe. Makes a lot of sense. So we cut to that happening. Um, and they immediately all go towards their people. So Dum Dum versus What's-His-Face and 
Rebel versus What's-His-Face. And see, I already forgotten. I just talked about him. But they all do that. They all pair off. Um, Nick has no pair, and Eric has no pair. Because remember, Eric is new. So the two of them take off and say – or they're basically, Nick is like, just let these, these uh, people fight each other. You and me, we're going to go check out make sure Sam's okay. So they start making their way across the barracks. They run into Bull McGivney and his squad. And they run into uh forget his name. Damn. Uh Marita? Yeah. But that's not his name, is it? Marita? Just Marita? The Japanese guy? Yeah. Yeah, Jim Morita. Jim Marita, Jim Marita and his group. So there's two squads. Like all the all the old all the old Holmes Week squads are here, I guess. Um they capture Sam Sawyer. They call I don't know, there's a bunch of fighting, there's a bunch of shenanigans. At some point, Eric gets a plane and shoots down a bunch of Germans as long as they're out in the open because he doesn't want to kill uh, any any good guys. Um, all the Howlers take out their counterparts pretty easily, and then they all try and reconnoiter with uh, Nick. Nick and Eric in, go in to try and rescue Sam, but they get held at gunpoint. Um, Klaus or Klau or whatever his name is calls Hitler on their phone, and Hitler's like, kill them, kill them now. And he waits, there's a big long pause, then he hears blam, blam. And then he's like, they did it, yay! And he turns all like, uh, what's that, Jojo Rabbit Hitler or something? <laughs> like he just gets all cartoony and starts dancing and stuff like that. But it turns out the blam, blam actually came from the Howlers who shot Clow before he could shoot uh, Happy Sam. Uh, so they knock everybody out, and then they have Dino call Hitler and basically laugh at him in German and tell him your plan failed and this is what really happened and that makes Hitler mad and he storms off like a baby. He slaps some of his people and he throws a hissy fit. Um, the Howlers uh, uh, gather up the Blitzkrieg squad by gunpoint and Sam talks about how slow they were in rescuing him. They suck. You're the worst. Um, which makes Nick in turn Tell the Howlers they suck, you're the worst. And then they shoot at the Blitzkrieg squad's feet to make them run faster. And um, the last panel is Klaus, like, thinking about how someday they will return, even though they're being arrested right now. Next issue, on to Tarawa. Tarawa? I haven't looked it up Tarawa. yet, but evidently it's Tarawa. A, it's a sort of a, it's blo- a, really hard a bloody battle in the, um, in the Pacific. Okay. Okay. Um, <clears throat> So, so the beginning, the first, the cover, first of all, is the Flash of Two Worlds. Oh yeah, it really is, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I don't know which did it first, but here you go. Yeah, Flash is Flash <laughs> of Two Worlds is, is way in the past by now. Yeah, because they're running down mm-hmm. both sides of the of the brick wall. We see somebody in the front, like mm-hmm. laying down, trying to get helped. Right, we'll kill you first. Um, I liked the idea that they were finally. I mean, they did it once before, but they were finally doing the whole like one on one Blitzkrieg versus Howlers. But whenever they uh-huh. do the whole page of of one on one and why they're paired up and how that's supposed to give yeah. somebody the advantage, uh-huh. this is cool in concept, but it sort of highlights how ridiculous it is. Exactly. I think I posted on Twitter that page made me think of like Super Friends. <laughs> Your flute will beat Batman's utility belt or whatever. You know, it's just like, huh? A lot of this but was action. This is, this is the fully like realized version of that. This is more so than they've ever done before. And it's more so than they, than they will ever do before, or again, uh, as well, I'll, I'll okay. mention something here at the end. 
There's a lot of action in this, but I think it's well choreographed. It tells a story mm-hmm. uh, for a lot of it. And um, really, the very first attack by the Blitzkrieg, the Howlers should have mm-hmm. died the next panel. They caught him by surprise. Why? They just busted in oh, their yeah. room, mow him down with gunfire, and you've just killed the Howlers. Yep, but they had to punch him instead. I guess. I really liked um, Koenig in this because he's like, I'm going to fight against my country's enemies. Yes, yes. Nazis are the enemies of Germany. He's been relegated to the pilot guy, and for the last yeah. few issues or so, he doesn't talk or anything. And this time, he's still the pilot guy, but he has a whole page of being a cool pilot guy. He's actually part of the team a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I like the idea that he didn't have anybody to pair off with, and neither did Nick, because Nick is the leader who wasn't there. Yeah, it's really a big fight. Now, we've been having, we've been enjoying this series, and I absolutely enjoyed this story, but it's like hard to talk about kind of because it's like a lot of fighting but it was like again a different it was breaking the mold of what they've been doing for the last however many years mm-hmm. um and it's almost cool the blitzkrieg but yeah like you said it's like the pairing is kind of silly but kind of cool colonel Klawa is spelled k-l-a-w by somebody who's who's like i don't know what your name is colonel claw or whatever and mm-hmm. I feel like that's an intentional nod to say that they have not actually established on the page yet. Hmm. Roy Thomas invented invented this character. And if I recall correctly, he was during his little writing on this book. And he is going to go down in comics history as drawing connections, legacy connections between older and newer generations of heroes. Uh And yet he doesn't take the opportunity or maybe doesn't get the chance to spell out this connection until 1993. Wow. In a fantastic four, uh, whenever they were in the unlimited, the quarterly unlimited books for all the series, he does mm-hmm. a fantastic four backup story with, uh, Colonel Fritz Klawa establishing him as Ulysses Claus, either father or grandfather. I forget which by that time. I'd be oh, grandfather. okay. It'd be a much catchier name. Um, yeah, they I, just called him Claw. I think the idea is that uh, his family anglicizes the name when they come to the states. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got an iron hand, so that wouldn't be far fetched to like throw some claws on it, call him Colonel Claw. Right, and he came out five minutes after the Claw character was invented by Lee and Kirby over at Fantastic Four. So it seems like a very intentional creation. He just has mm-hmm. never actually put it on the page until years mm. later. Um, I don't have a lot else about the actual story. I w- Adolf was. Ridiculous, but I was mm-hmm. also kind of smiling at just how much Defura is so obsessed with this little podunk base sergeant, Sergeant Fury. Well, they win all their missions, all their impossible missions. They do win all. The, they are a, a thorn in Fury's side. I'm sorry, in, in Hitler's side. He's been portrayed like this consistently. This ridiculous, over the top, cartoonish version of himself. Mm-hmm. But uh, I wonder if I don't think that really carries over in other appearances in Marvel, really. That I can think of, but well, I, I, I don't know. I, I can't think of a lot of appearances of by him either. Yeah, I think right now it's you know still just twenty odd years since the war ended. I think lampooning him is probably the best best move. Like Hatemonger didn't throw a tantrum. No, no, he did. He just ranted. Um, I realized that we didn't see Goethe come back in this issue. I thought whenever she and Klawa drove off together last issue, they were going to be like you know characters, but no, she's not here. Nope. And speaking, there was, go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, is it? Speaking of not coming back, 
Guess who had their last appearance in this issue? Huh. The Blitzkrieg Squad. Really? Yep. Well, they do get arrested, so at least it sticks, I guess. Yeah, it's not technically true because they do have one more appearance way down the road in an Invaders issue. But as far as we're oh. concerned, they're done. Is that a flashback, maybe? Uh, well, it's Invaders, so it's set in World War II. It might so, be a present. So, <laughs> so everything's a flashback. Yeah, it might be contemporary to them, or it might be a flashback. I don't know. Also, speaking of not coming back, I've been reading the next issue boxes at the end of the letters pages, and it says we're losing a Howler next issue. Oh, we're going to guess again? It's Eric. Know. I feel like Eric's the best contender. Because he wasn't in Korea. Right. We know they all survive. But he was in Vietnam. Only because they went and got him. Yeah. Um, How come we haven't seen the invaders yet? That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to figure out if you're asking seriously. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, that's probably with retcons, right? Right. I hope that the invaders meet the Howling Commandos at some point in the invaders stories, but I can't remember if that ever happens. So yeah, my vote is either Koenig or somebody like Manelli who just leaves for a couple of issues and comes back. Uh, not dumb, dumb because they did that already. Yeah. Oh, Jim Morda is in this. He is only in one more issue. Mm. He only gets three appearances, and I, 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 I don't know. I've always associated him with the Howlers, but not so much. I kind of would have liked more of him or Bull. Like if they're just like little cameo shots. Yeah. I like the idea of if we're going to have a big attack all over the base with a big movie budget to just like bring in all the people who are on the base that we've met before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would have, I could have used a little more of that. Yeah. Apparently it's the most important base in all of England. Possibly. Or something. Strange Tales? Strange Tales. Speaking of more Nick, One, it's a tunic night. It's a tunic night. I'm wearing my tunic. Strange Tales 163 on episode 163. And the dragon cried... Death. Death. It's not a dragon, though. It's an octopus. What the hell? Right. All right. Supreme Headquarters, International Espionage, Law Enforcement Division, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Remember last-ish? If not, this should help jog your memory, Tiger. No time for recaps now. Just dig the 3D multi-lens stereo refractor system and hang on. It's only the beginning. So I guess I'll just read what they're saying. Um, Yellow Claw is staring down on a 3D moving image of... Fury fighting an octopus. Observe, Foltzman. The shield dog's fate is sealed. The monster cephalopod in the cavern below us has found the, his quarry. Yah, Hairclaw. The fool blundered into your trap exactly as you planned. Now there can be no escape. Enough. I'm no longer amused. Pressing matters await our return. You see, the Yellow Claw has a new undertaking this very night. And so that all will know who told this never to be forgotten epic. We proudly present the credits. Stanley editor, Jim Steranko, writer and illustrator, Frank Jacoya, inker, and Sam Rosen, letterer. So um, Yellow Claw turns off the 3D Skype and Nick Fury proceeds to beat the octopus. And by beating it, I mean he pulls out his serrated switchblade and drives it into the poor creature's heart. That's terrible. Um, but he swims out of the tank, climbs up the walls, um, uses a bomb to burst the iron bars of the window, and then is able to escape. Meanwhile, Yellow Claw is hooked up to this, like, I don't know, really large chair contraption that hooks into his brain and shoots pictures of AIM on the ceiling. So I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> it's the um, id receptor of the psionic revelation eavesdropper. Hmm. Huh. One of those. One of those. Anyways, like, hey, Voltzman, guess what? 
We're not the only ones trying to take over the world. Look at AIM. They're building a weapon. Huh, look at that. So we should go get that weapon. Um, how are we going to do that? I don't know. Then we cut to Swan. Swan is the niece of Yellow Claw. And her shtick is that she is devoted to her family because he's family. But she also doesn't like the fact that he's an evil criminal trying to take over the world. And so she often tells Jimmy Woo about his plans, gives her uncle away, but then also goes home with him because she's loyal to her family. So it's, you know, it's a whole thing. So she's thinking about, I got to call Jimmy again and tell him what's going on. Meanwhile, back at S.H.I.E.L.D., Nick Fury's putting on his clothes and talking to Valentina DeFontaine. When Clay Quartermain comes in, new character, he's like a walking cheese grin and talks a lot. Those are his things. He walks, he's a big old cheese grin, he talks, and he fights well. Um, so Jimmy calls them and says, hey, guess what? AIM has this thing called the Ultimate Annihilator. Okay, Spider-Man has the Nullifier. Here we have the Annihilator. That's where I was getting confused there. Um, Ooh, which one's better? I don't know. I don't know. I bet you they could both kill you from a distance. Mm-hmm. Fury's like, okay, I've got to go this alone. So we see an AIM installation with Nick Fury coming in. And uh, Clay Quartermain is with him, even though I thought Fury said he was going to go it alone. Maybe he says that later. Uh, Fury and Quartermain succeed in beating up the AIM guys and stealing a statue of a dragon. It's a Chinese uh, piece of art. And um, yeah, they take it back. They're like, this is what Yellow Claw was after. We got it before Yellow Claw got it. Why did he want it? I don't know. And they do something with it. Um, oh, Yellow Claw ghosts in out of nowhere and says, ha ha, I'm taking my dragon. He yoinks it. He, he ghosts away. And they're like, oh no, shot him, stoop him, stop him, shoot him, whatever. <laughs> and then Fury's like, oh wait, that wasn't the real dragon statue. That was a fake we made because we knew Yellow Claw was going to do that. We've got this other dragon statue over here. And uh, he pulls it out of the little cabinet, accidentally drops it, and it goes, Vos Clay Ling Tom. And they're like, why does it say those four names? They're like, I don't mm-hmm. know, but those four names are very important scientists. So we better go see what's up. And S.H.I.E.L.D. goes and finds one. It's like, oh no, this guy's dead. I bet you Claw's going to kill all of them. And so we see Yellow Claw go to another old elderly scientist or person in a room that's dark and... He's going to kill him, but then Fury takes off the old man mask. He's Fury underneath. He pulls a gun on Yellow Claw. Yellow Claw stares Fury down. With his super hypnotic power, Fury collapses to the ground. And Yellow Claw says um, something about Fury ceasing to exist because he shoots him with the ultimate annihilator. Next issue in the lair of the Yellow Claw. Dun, dun, dun. Well, I, I don't know. I would have enjoyed this a lot more if there hadn't been several plot disconnects. Or like, yeah, how okay. exactly does that work? Because mm-hmm. I liked the tone. I liked mm-hmm. the actual events. But okay, so you've got several things. Um, AIM is here, you know, randomly. Okay, that's fine. We're going to bring in AIM. They're making this thing called the Ultimate Nullifier or uh, Annihilator, there's a dragon that tells how to get it. So Yellow Claw's going to go after that dragon. He steals the dragon. Not really. It's a fake. But then doesn't even need it because he knows who all the scientists are. <laughs> yes. 
Fury has the yeah. dragon, finds out who the scientists are. He goes and shows up as Fury. Yellow Claw stares him down. Um, there's something else I was recapping. I was like, how exactly does that connect? But now I'm forgetting what it was. Yeah, there's like too much going on. And Yellow Claw seems like omnipotent or something. Mm-hmm. So I'm not loving either of those elements, I guess. There are things I do like, like the art is continuing to be fairly interesting. I don't know if I love it, but there are definitely some storytelling choices that he does that other artists have not been doing. Right. Particularly like, say, the last page when he gets hypnotized. Like, I really like that, the six panels of Fury's face and the color kind of changing. And right. that was cool. And, you know, uh, Ramita uh, and Gene Cole and stuff black don't and white do image that. Of him staring down. Yeah, exactly. I like that kind of thing. But, like, there's just too many twists and turns for 15 pages. And Yellowclaw seemingly can just do whatever he wants. Like, oh, I got an eavesdropping machine. Okay. Oh, I can just pour it in the shield and take what I want. Oh, okay. Um, what else did he do that was nuts? He, uh, I thought he did something else weird. But, uh, oh, yeah, like you said, he just figures out the four scientists without needing the dragon, even though he needed the dragon. So it's like, what the heck? I don't know. The, the names of the scientists told Fury what was going on, but they didn't tell Yellow Claw what was going on. So theoretically, Yellow Claw could have done what he was going to do without any of the dragon business. So I didn't read the page, the panel, right after the four scientists' names get sung mm-hmm. um, by the dragon egg. Hey, Harry Potter. Um, but uh, So at first, I was like, I tried every which way to read <laughs> that weird spelled sentence. Right. Like backwards, forwards. I was like, is this supposed to be a word? I don't understand what word this is. And then finally I read the next panel. I was like, oh, it's the name of four scientists. Oh, man. I tried way too long to figure out what that was trying to say. <laughs> Ling Tong Yalk Fosav? What? No, no, that's not a thing. I don't know what it is. Yeah. I yeah, love, it was weird. I like, I like Clay Quarterman. That's probably my favorite part of this story. He's we fun. a new character. He's fun, yeah. Serenko's base, I mentioned this last episode. Because we, when we saw a different S.H.I.E.L.D. cast in the other book, he's basically changed the entire face and cast of this book. And Fury uh-huh. even comments upon it. He's like, man, I wish I had Dugan or Jones here. And that's when Quarterman shows up. He, yep. Fury is still coping with the fact that this is a different series than it used to be. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. If he wants to make it his own thing, that's cool. But, uh, yeah, I feel like I'm not really latched onto the stories exactly yet. No, I, it – it's definitely a style over substance kind of story. Mm-hmm. So far, the style is still keeping me afloat, but the story mm-hmm. is definitely trying to weigh me down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, the only other thing I was going to say is that Yellow Claw from China addresses Fury in a Japanese fashion at the end of the story. <laughs> Does he really? What does he, he says, say? You see, Fury-san, you simply cease to. Oh, that's so racist. It's a bit, yeah, because you're just like lumping everyone in Asia all together. Yeah, there's like didn't even... twenty different cultures and languages over there. <laughs> didn't do your research. I'm sure there's a lot right. more than twenty, but you know. Well, I'm uh, I'm willing to move on if you are. Sure, we the... still got we got even worse story to get through. <laughs> Three phases <laughs> of doom. Okay, special note to synopsis buffs. Doctor Strange has barely averted Earth's destruction by absorbing the evil power of Baron Mordo. His saving weapon was the Staff of Polar Power, lent to the sinister, lent by the sinister Nebulous, Lord of the Planets Perilous, Nebulous from Perilous. But the beautiful mystic, Victoria Bentley, is still in danger. And now 
the mystic master, a nebulous face, the dread living tribunal. Stanley eminently MCs the Jim Lawrence Dan Adkins planetary pulse stopper, lettered by the quivering quill of Al Kurzrock. Um, so Doctor Strange has absorbed all the evil power that got let loose by Zom's hairdo ten years ago, and mm-hmm. it's in this power staff that he got from Nebulous, which while he was holding, Nebulous is like, you have to do everything I say, and now that you've done all that, give it back to me. Now I have all the evil in this staff. And then was like, yeah, you've saved the world, but we've got to take care of this Nebulous person. He's going to die. Um, I don't even know why that's a bad thing. Oh, because only Nebulous knows where Victoria Bentley is. Right. So if he dies... Strange doesn't know how to save her. So it's not that Living Tribunal is wrong. He's just inconvenient right now. Living Tribunal tries really hard to kill Nebulous, who jumps around without legs for like uh, the whole 10 pages. Um, Strange tries occasionally to get in their way. It's a little bit pathetic. Tribunal occasionally tosses a little attack at Doctor Strange, which is a lot more than he can handle. Um, Until finally... Just before Living Tribunal completely destroys Nebulous, Doctor Strange jumps in, yoinks the staff out of Nebulous's hand, flies over to Living Tribunal and says, here you go. Earth can be spared. We'll destroy the, we'll restore the cosmic balance by destroying all the evil in the staff. And I'm going to go save Victoria Bentley. And uh, mm-hmm. Living Tribunal's like, you know what? That was pretty clever. So I'm going to give you a reward. Zoop, I'm going to go send you over to where the Earth Girl is kept. But beware, Valorous One, for what awaits you there are dangers more ghastly than human mind dare conceive, and a whole new string of plot lines that barely connect to what's gone before. Next issue, Nightmare. <sighs> so, Doctor Strange, you are at a heart a hero. You saved the planet Earth and gave me back this stick thing and now i shall reward you oh cool you're gonna send me back to earth and send that woman back to earth too with your omnipotent power no i'll just send you to a dangerous place where she is Mm -hmm. and you'll have another 12 part story okay dang it that was a cool reward thanks two things yeah that was a pretty nice yoink i really liked strange flying in there to save the day didn't know he could fly but hey he's got a cloak of levitation so why not he's superman's in yoinks the staff also, that's a really cool last panel. Very cool last panel. Um, I actually like this. Like the last couple of stories have been like me wondering why they keep changing the story. But this one, yes, they changed the story to get to here. But at least now it's like, okay, the reason Tribunal is still counting down is because the evil still exists. It's just in this stick. And it's in this stick because what's his name tricked Doctor Strange into putting it in the stick. Mm-hmm. By fighting Mordo with the stick and using the stick to absorb all of Mordo's magic. Baron Mordo so like, tricked okay. Doctor Strange into putting all the evil into Mordo. Nebulous tricked Doctor Strange putting all of the evil into a stick. Doctor yeah. Strange, you might be kind of gullible. It this reminded me also of the 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 ending of with Dormammu and uh Eternity. Mm-hmm. Like once again we have Doctor Strange kind of just on the sidelines watching these two omnipotent beings fight. Big cosmic fight, yeah. Uh but at least he Obviously, in the end, he actually saves the day, and he does, like, get hurt along the way and stuff. So there's a little more involvement on his part. And the fight's pretty epic. It is. Some of it. Especially, like, page seven, for instance. That looks pretty cool, uh, where 
where tribunals just like, you know what? I'll just kill your whole planet, and then if I can't, if I can't kill you, that's easier. I'll just destroy your entire planet. <laughs> it's like okay. And I, I'm I, I want to like Nightmare, so I'm hoping that we have an engagement because yeah, Nightmare is good fodder for interesting, creepy stories. So I, I, I would I'm going forward with hope for this book. Yeah, it's been a while since Nightmare attacked Doctor Strange. Yeah, or, you know that used to be like the regular thing. He has that mop hairdo. He was Doctor Strange's first bad guy way back in the very first story. Yeah. And for a while there, he was always wanting revenge. So, okay. Comic number five. Comic number five is alive. The Mighty Thor, number 146, If the Thunder Be Gone. <laughs> that may, I don't know. I didn't realize that was the title. That's kind of funny. Okay. His Thunder God power taken from him by an angry Odin. Mighty Thor finds employment as a circus strongman, but the noble Asgardian, alas, does not suspect that he has been hired by an evil archfiend who is planning one of the greatest crimes of all time. And now let's join our colorful cast as they prepare for the dramatic theft of the Golden Bowl, a Stan the Man Lee and Jack King Kirby festival for the rest of us. Oh, of fabulous fantasy. Delineation, Vince Coletta, lettering Artie Semek. So, yeah, Thor's now in underwear and booties, and he's picking up Princess Python and the Tumblr guys with one hand and a barbell and stuff like that. And they're like – and uh, the master guy – what's his name? I forget. The ringmaster yeah. comes over, and he's like, hey, since you're calling yourself Thor and you look like Thor, and that's going to be the whole thing, we got you this cool Thor outfit so you could just pretend to be Thor. That will be your circus gig, your gimmick. And Thor looks at it, and he's like, this – is not as cool as the costume I actually had. Oh, I'm just as horrible as Zeus right now. This is horrible. This sucks. Um, but he puts it on because he's defeated. He's got nothing else to do. And they have their first circus night, and everybody's all excited. And he's like, yeah, it's me. I'm Thor. And they're like, you're not the real Thor. And he's like, oh, yeah. And he throws his hammer, and it breaks something. And the kids are like, yeah, but Thor's hammer really comes back to him if he was the real Thor. And he's all thinking like, but I am the real Thor. But then the ringmaster hypnotizes the entire crowd to think that the hammer came back when really he just picked it up. And they're all like ooing and on. And he's like, I just bent over and picked it up. Why are you guys clapping? That's weird. Anyway, um, then after the show's over, ringmaster puts the hypnosis hat on Thor again. And they go rob for the bull. So they got, you know, this big circus plan where the tumblers and the circus and the unicycle and everybody's going in. But basically what they, the plan is to distract the guards with the clown and the twi tumbler twin guys. See, you can tell I can remember their names, but behind the scenes, while they're all chasing after the clown and the tumble twin guys, the cannon guy breaks through the back window. And then the Python with her serpent, the serpent lifts the Python and like Thor up to gain access and there's this giant golden bowl that weighs 8 million pounds and he picks it up because he's Thor um, and then the cannonball guy like I guess oh he like cuts a hole in the wall and they have like this truck with a 8 million dollar uh, I don't know mechanical arm that comes out of it that's supposed to take the bowl but meanwhile the cops are onto them so they attack um, and while they're shooting 
Thor like snaps out of it because some of the bullets ping by his head as they hit the bowl. He's like, what am I doing here? This is madness. I'm just, I'm a common criminal criminal now, but I, I, I can't, uh, I don't know. And he drops the bowl and it like pins princess Python. Um, and meanwhile, like Balder and Sif are watching this, these shenanigans from the Asgard and they're like, we should help, but we can't cause Odin's mad. And then it cuts to Odin walking around going, I shouldn't be mad, but I'm so mad. Um, and then, yeah. So like Thor's pinned down. And the python's literally pinned down, and they're shooting at him, and he doesn't know what to do. Next, the wrath of Odin. You know, Odin, admitting you have a problem is the first step to healing. He tends to always backpedal a little bit, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. I don't think he does in this, though. No, no, not really. Um, but he might. This is a neat little neat little jaunt Thor is going on, where he doesn't have his powers, mm-hmm. and he's just trying to like be a person. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say it's pushing all of my buttons, but it's definitely a fun little read. It's, it's good comics. It's fun. I feel like by next issue, Odin will have a change of heart and restore his power, and it'll mm-hmm. all go back to status quo. And that'll make me a little sad because I kind of wish this would last for like 12 issues or something. And do something – like do different things with him as, as a human? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think in the Silver Age, three issues is about as long as this can run. <laughs> right. I say that after coming off of Doctor Strange, that's been running for so long on tangential plot lines. Yeah, but I don't think that we've ever changed the status quo of a character for more than three issues. No, that's true. Changing the status quo has no power. Yeah, he's like powerless Thor on Earth right now. I'm just reading this Mm -hmm. as like, this is just the current shenanigan and it's going to go away, Mm -hmm. but it could be like a change. Yeah. Marvel solicits Thor loses his powers and gets a job with the ringmaster of crime. Fanboys yeah. shout in rage. And everybody wonders what happened to Don Blake. Mm-hmm. Except nobody wonders because he's disappeared for years at a time and nobody cared then. It so. was only a few days. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> Every time I say that, I feel like, remember on, um, remember on Doctor Who, the second season, whenever the dad in the other world is like, trust me on this. This is like a little slogan. Anyways. The dad of the other world? Rose's dad in the uh, the, oh, the parallel yeah, earth. yeah. He actually uh-huh. has that pop thing. And his his tagline is, yeah. trust me on this. And you can uh-huh. tell when he's saying it, whatever it is I'm saying, trust me on, I'm definitely lying about. Right. Um, um, there was a Jane cameo kind of out of nowhere, but oh, I kind of liked right. it. Oh, that's right. That's right. She was in the audience. Mm-hmm. And Thor looks up and like, oh, there's Jane. With some other guy. I'm happy for her. She looks like she's having a good time. Now, it could be a miscoloration because color isn't consistent back in this time. But the dude has brown hair. So that doesn't seem like the same Don Blake lookalike that she was hooked up with before. Right. Maybe? I had the same thought. But, uh, but it could be. It's generic guy in a suit with peanuts, basically. <laughs> Maybe Why? he's wearing how, his hair brown that day. How does the ring circus of crime continue to function? Like, don't they get arrested repeatedly all the time? Like, how are they always back? And no one's like, hey, that's that same guy. Yeah, I don't know. You're right, because they're very, very, very public. Mm-hmm. But it's the circus, you know. But they don't change their look or their names or – and I assume circuses, like, have to – not to get all super technical and adult, but don't circuses have to, like, register with cities when they come into town to perform for them? And right. Yeah, it just seems a little like, dude, you're that guy. You're the ringmaster guy. What the hell? But maybe they don't register. Maybe they're just like vagabonds. And his hat seems to have a new power in this, um, making people see things. 
before it was just my will is your will. Now it's you will believe that you have seen this happen. That's true. So he's like mastermind kind of. Oh, actually, it's not even his hat. He lowers a spirally thing down from the ceiling, which has the same whirling duplicate design as his hat. It's the same tech, the same, same spiral technology. Right. (laughs) Okay. What are they going to do with a giant golden bull? I wonder about that all the time when I watch television and movies and people steal things. Mm-hmm. It's like, what are you going to do with this easily identifiable thing that you cannot break down? Right. Are you I just mean, sell, selling it to a collector? I don't know. You could, I mean, gold is soft. You could clip off chumps of like the limbs and stuff and try to sell them as golden nuggets. But I don't exactly know how gold selling works. If you just walk into a gold place and says, hey, here's a palm full of gold. Mm -hmm. Can I sell this to you? I don't know what that's going to do. I would probably just walk in with my spiral technology and say, give me money. Yes. That seems easier. And like I said, like just the truck with the hydraulic that can lift this 200-pound cow costs more Mm -hmm. than it's worth. They lost their strong guy for three issues trying to get this thing picked up. They had to go get Thor for it. Yeah, that – is very lucky on their part because no human being in the world could lift this thing. No, no, so, there's no uh, way. So. Balder, Sif, uh, and Thor are the new love triangle. I think they should just become a thruple. Yeah, works for me. They just need to all be together and have fun. Balder definitely loves Thor and definitely loves Sif. And um, yeah. If I was an Asgardian, I wouldn't like the idea that they can just tune in on me whenever they want to. That's kind of weird, but okay. So they could just what? That's what they. But they can just tune in on me whenever they want to. It's but a that's bit how weird. gods work. Loki has that inborn, but it seems like everybody else has stuff they can do. It's scrying stones and pools and giant <laughs> crystals and everything else. Yeah, yellow claw with his ESP spire device, whatever. Mm-hmm. We never right, see somebody we go, oh. oh, accidentally tune in on somebody showering. Let's just change the channel. Yeah, they don't. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. Who knows what you're going to walk in on. Uh, we have a new backup. New backup story. And I have to summarize this too, and I kind of forget already what happens. But it's the origin of the incomparable Inhumans. So we now have Inhumans instead of Tales of Asgard. Yes. Conceived and created by Marvel's Mighty Masters of Mythology, Stan the Man Lee and Jack the King Kirby. Not the King, just Jack King Kirby. Inking Joe Sinnott, lettering Artie Simek. And now let us lead to the wondrous realm where legends lie abornin. What? Yep. Okay. So it shows the development of man – but then there's like this other race that's like way more advanced that's somehow evolved way past them that we have all forgotten about or something. Maybe they just like, never left any traces of their existence. It's just a branch of humanity. That, but yeah, yeah, they, they their own thing. Are they humans or are they just another Homo sapien off like a different? I don't know. Anyway, there's cavemen looking guys and there's Kirby sci-fi looking guys. Um, and the Kirby sci-fi looking guys like go off and do their own thing and they make their own uh, base. But there's like dinosaurs and stuff flying around too. I'm just thinking out loud as I try and summarize this. This this doesn't make any sense because humans and dinosaurs did not coexist, but okay. I'm not sure how much that was widely known by the layperson in 67. Okay. So, um, and then what? There's an island of Adelaide where they make their gleaming fortress. And they discover this stuff called Terrigen Mists. And they're like, oh, no, we can't use that on living people. The result could be too fantastic. And the king's like. But then the leader guy's like, I'll do it. And then he does it. And next, the Inhumans. 
Because the, the, the goal is that it would erase the basic weaknesses of man, allowing it to become more uh, than human. But the risk right. is that it could be a deadly plague on the earth. That's what it was, yeah. So they're trying to like eliminate death and greed and sorrow and murder. Mm-hmm. But it could backfire and create death, greed, and sorrow and murder. So the leader goes into the, the fly vault. And, and we don't know what happens to him. Nope. Presumably he turns into an inhuman or else this is going to be a really short-lived back backup. But um, what is his name? Does he have a name? He does have does a name. It matters. Urkel or something or Menkel. What says or- Randak, our sovereign supreme? So he's the leader, Randak. Mm-hmm. And, and in theory, the first inhuman. But we'll find that out later. So Kirby really likes ancient offshoot cultures that everyone's forgotten about. Uh-huh. He does this again with Fourth World. He does this again with Eternals. He does this. I mean, this is his thing. Um, and this had several elements that I was expecting. We get Adelan. I'm pretty sure that's the first time we've seen that name. I don't think they used that name before. I think it was just the Great Refuge. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a name that Kirby has used before, but I'll talk about that in a second. Because the one thing we don't get in this that I was really expecting was the Cree. I really thought that this spelled out the connection with the Cree, and they don't do that. So I guess that's going to come later. Um, but without giving too much away, basically the reason there's this advanced offshoot of humanity is because the Cree did experiments on a, on a branch of humans, and they became an advanced offshoot okay. of humanity. Okay, that is so much better, because this, mm-hmm. even as I was reading it the first time, I was scratching my head wondering – what are they trying to say? Are they trying to say that this clan of humans advanced super fast for some reason? Or are they trying to say that like this is a humanoid type race that advanced faster than the other humanoid type race that became us? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really – it just says one race there was long since forgotten and it shows the guy going around with a computer or whatever. And so it's not, sure, it's not super clear if it's a race separate from humans Right, and then, and then later they're like, as humans spread all over the world, there are those whose advancement is far, and like, are they there are those other humans, or there are those who are not humans? It's it's ambiguous wording, but I'm pretty sure meant to understand these are humans; they are just separate from the others. Because if we go, you know, I don't think they, I don't even know if they knew this in 1967, and I don't know what I'm talking about now. But like back in the day, there was competition for evolution, wasn't there? Yeah, like there were various ape type creatures that, and we just ended up being. The ones that made it. And I haven't really read in depth, but my, my understanding is that we actually were able to interbreed with some of those. Okay. And so how much Neanderthal DNA you have uh, is, you know, depending on what part of the world your oldest ancestors come from before mm. um, before ancient Africa, where we all come from. Um, I say before that, after that, after humans began to split up and spread around the world, I think they found other human-like people. Okay. But yeah, but yeah, we dominated and, and killed them all off. Um, do you- and it's just, you know, like page two, what the hell is that thing they're fighting? You know, that's kind of this three-fingered sloth giant bear thing. And then, like I said, on page four, there's dinosaurs, even though we just had cavemen. So it's like, oh, I'm confused. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I, I'm going to chalk that up to Jim just not realizing how much that was incompatible back when they wrote yeah. this. Cause yeah, yeah, yeah. Things like space – were really unclear to the layperson at this time. So I'm going to go with maybe dinosaurs were too. Maybe. Um, okay. So you've read Captain America comics number one. Yes. Remember the backup stories? The the ones that weren't Captain America, like Tuck the Cave Boy and stuff or something like Tuck that? Tuck the Cave Boy. Exactly. Tuck the Cave Boy. Yeah. 
I, I don't cake, think I've it? ever read it, but I remember it. <laughs> okay. It's a Kirby comic. Hmm. And okay. he talks about being, um, having come from Adelan, the Island of the Gods. Oh. And that is later going to be retconned that he actually was either one or two generations removed from someone who left Adelan or himself had left Adelan. And Adelan, the Island of the Gods, is this fantastic place right here that um, is so much above what Tuck the Cave Boy would have to live as. Dang. So if we ever start doing Golden Age supplementals on this show, we have to include Tuck? Mm-hmm. Because he's part of the Marvel Universe? He is he is 616 character. Dang. I never knew that. Yeah, I, did, I actually – I knew about the reuse of the word Adelan in his story – I did not know that he was actually 616 retconned until, like, yesterday. Wow. But anyways, I like this chapter. I think it's a good first chapter of a sci-fi story. It's very unclear from just this chapter how it even begins to connect to the Inhumans. Right. Uh, Uh, Go ahead. I was going to say, other than potentially this guy turning himself into one. Right. But we've never even heard of Terrigen Mists before. We haven't heard of people becoming inhuman over the course of their life. This is all new material. This is everything we learn in this story is new. Is this the same amount of pages that Tales of Asgard got? Because it seems really short. Um, it could yes. be because there's a big giant splash page that's, that doesn't really do anything with the story. But Right. It's a five-page story just like Tales of Asgard. And it's got all the big art. Well, think about those um, creation myth stories at the beginning. They hardly did anything as well. Mm-hmm. Or the Ragnarok, where he just like opens up the art and does stuff. Yeah, but yeah, I, I like well, the opening chapter. As I said, it's just hard to tell where it's going, and you'll have to like connect it as we go along. It's more interesting than the the uh, dwindling tales of Asgard. So let's go with it. <laughs> it's the first thing you've said about the Inhumans ever since that one shift <laughs> in the storyline back in like forty four. <laughs> no, I liked him in the Fantastic Four annual, kind of. So. Mm-hmm. And maybe this maybe this origin will like clarify things that I didn't like about their original telling. Who knows? Maybe. Probably not. Maybe. But that's the end of our episode. We have chronicled mm-hmm. more than we could shake a stick at. And we're going to go and leave you until next week for episode 164, where we will have Tales of Suspense 96 with Captain America falling down through the sky. And it says to be reborn. We have Tales to Astonish, 98. I was going to say what's in all of these, but now I can't find. There it is. Tales to... What about Spider-Man? Hold on. The I list I have on my in my page here does not match the list that's in my comic. Um, Tales to Astonish, 98. To destroy the Realm Eternal. We see Namor underneath a bunch of wreckage that looks like um, it might be Atlantis. We have Daredevil, 34, where Daredevil and the Blue Beetle... Are up against a bunch of people to squash a beetle. Look, Daredevil's helpless. The beetle's about to unmask him. It's Mike Murdoch. Uh, we have the Avengers 46. The Avengers 46 where agony in the ant hill. Goliath. Oh, no. An ant-sized Goliath is fighting ants uh, to save them from the wasp. Or the other way around. Save the wasp from them. And the whirlwind and his old, is back. His old villain. The whirlwind. Mm, the whirlwind. Fantastic Four 69 is our final stop by Ben Betrayed. Benjamin J. Grimm is pulling a King Kong on top of a building while Torch and Reed Richards, who are, of course, the entire rest of the Fantastic Four team, um, are trying to stop him. 
so yeah, those five issues are coming at you next episode, next week. And if they um if they don't know where we are because this episode just landed in their lap mysteriously, Mike, where can they find us? Come on, guys. You know where you can find us. You just type the title of our show in your favorite podcast app, which you probably already did, which is how you're listening to this in the first place. But if somehow you didn't do that, you can go to makearsmarvel.com. Clever domain name, right? Um, there you'll find links to our social media on Facebook, on Twitter. You'll find links to all the popular podcast apps or our RSS link. Or you could find a contact form where you can write us or you can write directly podcast at makearsmarvel.com. On makearsmarvel.com is a PayPal link where you can uh, contribute to the costs of the show. We always appreciate everyone's contribution. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I am on Twitter at John Reads Comics. Mike is on Twitter at Kaiser the Great. We tweet about comics and all sorts of other things, mostly comics though. And yeah, so that just about does it. Um, so be here next week to listen to all of that goodness. And until then, or until the Black Panther and the Wakandas get basically all of their culture from Colonel Fritz Klawa, make ours marvel. marvel.